Proverbs chapter number one. First Kings chapter three and Proverbs chapter one. The title of the message on this day is fatherly advice. First Kings chapter three, verse one, and Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had made an end of building his own house in the house of the Lord and the wall of Jerusalem round about. Only the people sacrificed in high places because there was no house built unto the name of the Lord unto those days. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David, his father. He sacrificed and burned incense in the high places. Now, if you come with me now to Proverbs chapter number one, I want to read verses seven and eight. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother. Fatherly advice. Let's pray. Father, again, it's good to be able to look into the scripture for a few moments. Give us ears to hear. Help me to speak clearly. Help me to declare your word. And I pray that you'd minister to all of us in here, in particular, our men today. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. When you look back in the scripture and see where God made Adam and Eve and placed them in the garden, if you follow the commands of God to them, you notice that God made them caretakers of the garden. Their role was to be that of maintainers and preservers of what God had made. And I think that particular image follows all the way through scripture. Whether you're talking about a man or whether you're talking about a woman or talking about two that are yoked together, the primary role in that marriage is to try to preserve all that God has instituted and ensure that it does not pass away. Because of sin, they were put out of the garden and within several generations, sin had multiplied. You know how bad it was in Noah's day. The scripture says that violence filled the earth. God was quite unhappy that he had made mankind. But if you think it was bad in Noah's day, I wonder if the same thing was perpetuated 150 years ago out here when you had the Wild West. and Everybody or every man was a law unto himself. and People did what they thought was right in their own eyes. I don't doubt that when certain notorious people came into town that there were people who cowered in fear because of it. Some men stood down rather than standing up because they didn't want to be put in harm's way when bullets were passing by. Many men, though, were strong and sturdy and courageous. That image has faded as we look at what goes on today in the media, in the descriptions and portrayals of men. You can watch many programs on television and you'll see very often that the man is treated as though he's some kind of a, a comedic buffoon. He hardly ever is right. The kids typically are smarter than the parents. 
And the dad is someone who's just kind of off on the side, who's lazy and doesn't have a whole lot of sense at all. That's an image that even though it's portrayed that way in culture, it's not the image that ever was given to us in Scripture. Scripture given, gives us an image of a father, a man, a husband, someone who was respectable, someone that was dependable. You think about Adam, even after he and Eve sinned, when they were put out of the garden, the scripture makes it very plain they had to work by the sweat of their brow. There are a lot of you gentlemen, a lot of you men who labor. You labor outdoors, you've labored physically. But have you ever thought about the fact that each time sweat kind of runs down your face, that all of that is a result of the curse? That one day there will be a point in time where we don't have to worry about any of that at all. So the image is wrong today. And Hollywood's portrayal of our men and our young men and males in society is wrong. Well, God does give us some images that are important, and I think we can draw some from this man Solomon in his early age. You can see there in verse 1 of 1 Kings 3 that he made an affinity with Pharaoh. Here was a man that was in a position of power. He was involved with politics. And he made a decision that would basically create peaceful relations between the two countries. Well, that's what politicians do. I mean, they're, they're involved sometimes with compromise and concessions. And they're looking at how they can achieve some kind of peace. I think it was David Wilkerson I heard one time say that it's impossible that a truly Holy Ghost-led man or woman could ever make it to the White House in this nation. He said that's because in order to go from down here to the White House, you will have had to compromise so many of your virtues just to get there. You're always having to promise someone this. You're always having to concede that. In politics, it really is about concessions and compromise. And that's why they'll say, OK, now we'll pass this bill over here that will supply lots of money to the farmers. But at the same time, you've got to pass this bill connected with it that's for welfare. Or we'll pass this bill here that's going to make sure that that uh, the military personnel are able to get a raise, but you've also got to provide millions over here for Planned Parenthood. There's always these kinds of concessions that are having to be made because people are put in a position where if you don't do one without the other, you end up unable to do anything. I'm not saying in the history of our nation we haven't had godly men and people that love the Lord in a position of power. I'm just simply saying to you it's been rare and even when we have had them, they have not lasted long. But we can't abandon it. We cannot, as, as, a, as a nation, as a church, abandon politics to people who don't know God. So we've got to encourage young people and encourage adults to get involved with these things. I know it can work because it says in verse three, Solomon loved the Lord. Here he was on the throne. He was a young man. And the scripture says he loved the Lord. So you can possess power and still love God. You can be a man that has a relationship with God and yet still have the ability to pull strings in a variety of different directions. And the Bible goes on to tell us he walked in the statutes of his father, David. You know as well as I do, David wasn't perfect. I'm not up here claiming that he was. But the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. 
Really? Well, the scripture says he committed adultery. The Bible still says he was a man after God's own heart. Well, he was involved with a conspiracy to murder an innocent man. He was still called a man after God's own heart. Well, he numbered the children of Israel and the army and put more faith in the army than he did in God. But he was still called a man after God's own heart, not because of those sins, but because he was the kind of person that knew when he did wrong, he would repent. Man, how often do you say you're sorry? How often have you been able to say and, and acknowledge that you've been wrong, that you need to ask someone to forgive you? I don't think there's ever been a man on this earth that's lived a perfect life other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Adam tried it. He couldn't complete it. And he lost the garden because of it. And a lot of what goes on in our home very often revolves around the fact that we don't do the things that we need to do. Solomon lived by the standards of David and David left standards behind by which he could live. What kind of standards and memories and examples did your father leave behind for you? If you had a father, have a father, that's a good man. You should be grateful that you've had one because there are a lot of people in this world that haven't had one. If you have memories of that dad, I mean, think about it. For the little boy that grows up in the house, I mean, he's a toddler trying to learn how to put on cowboy boots just like dad. I mean, he's ready as fast as he can to get out there and, and try to climb up on one of them tractors just to be like dad. Or he wants to go and be anywhere where pops is. Well, think about the little girls that are happy to have a dad's strong arms into which they can climb. and Know that they have somebody that protects them and loves them. But if you never had that, then don't forget the scripture says when your mother and father forsakes you, then the Lord takes you up. Even if you haven't had that, like so many orphan kids or foster kids, you still have a heavenly father that loves you and has not abandoned you. And you can always fall back on his mercies and all of his loving kindnesses and know that he's wonderful. So the examples that fathers leave for us are important. I didn't have a, a dad or stepdad that were saved, but they all they both left for me uh, good examples. My dad made it very plain as a as a kid. I was telling the folks this morning when, when I was a child, my dad made good money, but my dad made good money for he and my mother. And so I, I like to ask questions, you know, well, can I have a few extra dollars to go do this and do that? And my my dad made it very plain. I don't have a money tree in the backyard that I can just go out there and pick off five and ten dollar bills and just give them to you so you can go blow them on comic books or something like that or bubble gum. But he said, you know, you, you can get a job. I said, well, why do I need a job? I said, I go into your bedroom and I see the 20s and the 50s and the 100s laying out on top of the dresser there. He said, you're right, but that's my money. And that's for your mom and I. But you're going to have to go out there because we're providing food and shelter and everything like that for you. You're going to have to start learning how to work. So eight year old Daryl at the barber shop sweeping floor, sweeping the hair, five dollars every three days trying to make some money. And then as I started making money, then he started giving me more. Well, he had a good job working for the police department. 
And during the summertime, they, he probably had, I don't know, 25 to 30 different secretaries working for him. And I'd go down there to the office because, again, uh, he, he didn't allow for me to just lay around the house. From the time I was 10 or so, everything in that house had to have a job come summertime. And so sure enough, I, I, I was down there working, putting in my four, my six, my eight hours. And then when I hit the 10th uh, grade or so, then I found out about the country club. And I realized I could carry golf clubs down there. And it was $18 was the bag fee. And I'd go out there and I got to where I was carrying two bags and I'd do 36 holes. And little Daryl at 14, 15 and 16 was coming home with over $200 every day tax free. Well, I was working five or six days a week sometimes and making a whole lot of money. And my dad was quite pleased to be able to come to me and ask me for a loan from time to time. Well, here's the point that I'm getting at. All of us have memories of what our dad or mentor or somebody in our life left behind. And when you think about the things that your father left for you by way of memory, it's important. And always remember, we don't have them with us forever. Because one day they do say goodbye and we say goodbye to them. Well, considering that, Solomon had a dream one night and the Lord came to him and said, Solomon, what do you want from me? One thing, I'll grant your request. And in 1 Kings 3, verse 5, and in the following verses, it tells how he, in, in that dream, he said, Lord, I'm a young man. I need a wise heart and an understanding spirit. And the Lord said, I'll give that to you. And because you didn't ask for riches and wealth, I'm going to give you more of that. And this man became so wise that people traveled from all around the world to listen to him. Now, he certainly was smarter in his youth because he loved the Lord. But there came a point in time in Solomon's life where the scripture says women turned his heart away from God. And it's easy for that to happen. Anything, anybody can turn your heart away from God if you're not careful. But in his old age, he had an opportunity to look back and realize so much of his life and so much of life in general is vanity. And notice in Proverbs chapter one, when he's offering some advice to his son, he says in verse seven, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. He didn't say it was the, the epitome of knowledge. He said, this is where you begin. Adam and Eve had a, a fear and a reverence for God. I know that because even when they sinned, they hid in the presence of the Lord. Knowledge came to them. And there's something about having an awesome reverence for God that opens up all kinds of revelation to you about how God made this earth and how God made you and how redemption came. Consider this. In the world, there are different bodies of knowledge. You probably studied biology in school. That's the study of life. You may have taken a class in geology. That's the study of the earth. There are all kinds of bodies of knowledge that you have to master in order to have or perform certain jobs. If you're going to do secretarial stuff, you still have to know how to move your fingers and how to take notes and how to arrange things. It doesn't matter if people that ride tractors today can have them guided by the satellite, somebody still has to know how to operate these things and work on them if they break down. But think of this. 
with all the cemeteries that we have here in this county, if you were to go out there this day and walk up and down those little aisles and look at the different names, how many plumbers do you think were exceptionally gifted and they died without ever being able to pour their knowledge into somebody else? How many carpenters, finished carpenters, are buried out there who didn't have the kinds of tools and equipment that we have today, but I mean, they could still work on things and bring it to the point of perfection. And they last even to this day. I wonder how many recipes there are that are buried out there with a whole lot of women. Wonderful recipes of the kinds of foods we'll never taste again. All of that because there's not somebody to pour this knowledge into. But all of Christianity, all of the Bible, all of life is about somebody mentoring somebody else. It's about a, a following generation learning from the previous generation. And everything that you can glean and gain from them is going to be helpful in life. So when he says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, Solomon is speaking directly from experience. He's able to say, I've achieved what I've achieved because of the fact that I've come to know who God is. He strayed away. He moved away. He was gone for a little bit. He was involved with sin. He was ensnared, but he came back. Look at what he's telling us. He says it's the beginning of knowledge. Well, let's think of something else here in Chapter number two, notice in verse number, where is it at? Verse number 10. This is interesting. When wisdom entereth into your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, discretion shall preserve thee and understanding shall keep thee. Discretion is what makes you aware. It's also what makes you beware. It adds a degree of caution and hesitancy to you. And when you enter into certain ventures, discretion is the thing that keeps you very often from wasting money or wasting time, wasting resources, because it's designed to preserve you. Think about that. Your life, your family, your marriage, your home, our church can be kept together on the basis of discretion. There are many churches that have blown up into a thousand pieces because any and everybody just came in prophesying any and everything. No discretion. And if you let the wrong people speak into your life, it'll produce things in your life that aren't good. Sometimes you have to be cautious and sometimes the Lord will use or take you down a path that severs you from certain people. Because all of your friends may seem to be good friends, but may not necessarily be the best friends. I had a gentleman uh, one time, a, a preacher who's a good friend of mine when I was down at Jimmy Swaggart's and he preached evangelistic meetings around town and I'd go support him. And when I preached there in the church and in the Bible college chapel, he'd be there to support me. And he and I were very good friends. We were just hanging out all the time like two peas in a pod. And, and suddenly one day we were uh, in the elevator at my apartment building. And as he was talking with me, just I can't remember what we were talking about. But as he was talking, I just quickly saw what looked to me like a black cloud that just just descended upon him and I couldn't hear a word he was saying. Just like a black cloud. I didn't understand what any of this was. But when that thing finally faded after four or five seconds or however long it was, but I knew in my heart immediately 
separate yourself from him. Well, I stopped hanging out with him altogether. And when I'd go out with some of the other people there in ministry leadership and staff after the service, we'd go to different restaurants and they'd ask me, we hadn't seen you with a brother so-and-so. They all said, no, I said, you know, we're just doing different things right now. I didn't tell them anything about the vision that I had. Tiff and I got married. We came up here and we still would call down to Baton Rouge and check on our friends there in the ministry, see how everything was going, how they were doing. And I asked about this gentleman. I said, whatever happened to so-and-so? They said, oh, Daryl, it was just a bad deal what happened. said, we found out after you left that he was up there with the Bible college students involved with some kind of same sex stuff and had them watching videos the Bible college students shouldn't have been watching. But you know what? The scripture says here that when wisdom entereth into your heart, verse 11, discretion shall preserve you. God can keep you. God can preserve you. He can hold you together if you will listen to what God sometimes is trying to speak into your heart or your spirit way down in here. Just because you don't immediately recognize it, that doesn't mean that God's not trying to talk to you. But you have to be willing to hear what God says. And the reason discretion is necessary is because when you come to verse 12, it begins to talk to you about the evil man that speaks forward things, perverse things, things that move you away from the faith. And you run into that word forward several times in the succeeding verses who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. Why is darkness somewhere a Christian ought not be? It's because we walk in the light. We're sons of Jesus, who is the light of the world. And if you abandon the light and turn from Christians and move away from God and come to abide in darkness, I can tell you exactly what will happen. It's like when you walk into a room at night and there are no lights on. Eventually, when you sit there long enough, your eyes adjust to the darkness. And you get used to living that way. That's what has happened to many people who've had a relationship with God. An evil man, an evil thing, something evil has come into their life and caused them to move away from the paths of darkness, or excuse me, the paths of uprightness, and they begin to walk in the ways of darkness, and sometimes not even knowing that it's occurring, other times knowing that it's occurring, but not wanting to leave it. The evil man rejoices to do evil, delights in forwardness. Their ways are crooked. Their paths are forward. And the scripture says discretion will keep you from those kinds of people. Some friends you've got to let go. Some enemies you ought not envy. Some people you ought to be strong enough to just say, in your heart, I've got to do something different. If God's ever going to get me to where he wants me to be, to become what he desires for me to be. And that even, that even comes down to business associations sometimes. Evil people can create problems in your life. Well, if discretion will preserve you from an evil man, will discretion also preserve you from verse 16 from the strange woman? Absolutely. The stranger who flatters with her words, she forsakes the guide of her youth, forgets the covenant of God. Her house is inclined unto death and her path unto the dead. None that go to her return again, neither take they hold of the path of life. So men, these are things that are important. Fathers, 
How many homes have been wrecked and destroyed because uh, a guy decided that, that he wanted to, to cast his eyes upon another lady? And of course, when that happens in the flower of a young couple's youth, then you pretty much make it inevitable that another man's going to raise your kids. So we have to make decisions that are right. And there's some people we have to turn and walk away from so that God can preserve us and keep us. Temptation comes to us all. Don't you think for a second that temptation doesn't come to a preacher just like it does a choir member, an usher, or somebody sitting in a chair or a pew. But it's always a choice. And the scripture said, with every temptation, God makes a way of escape. How can you honor someone and respect someone who are in the embrace of a strange woman and a strange man and are unrepentant about it. I'm going to give you an illustration, but I could use this with sports figures and actors and actresses and R&B folks and rock and roll people. But I use this one illustration to give you an idea of what I'm talking about. There was a man many years ago, very famous as a singer, married, had children. And of course, in those days, if you were a singer, you spent a lot of time out on the road. Well, he was out on the road, met a lady, fell in love with her, deeply in love with her. His wife hadn't done anything wrong. He just fell in love with the new one. So he left the wife and the kids to be with the other one. And they stayed married, of course, for more than 40 years or however long it was. But the thing about it is, He'd get up there and he'd play his concerts and you'd see thousands of people just clapping and screaming and folks falling over themselves just to be in his presence. And every now and then I'll go into a store and they'll be playing one of those old songs from when he had that concert in the Folsom prison. See, Lots of people just applauding. But the whole time I, I always thought to myself, I wonder what his abandoned wife was thinking while she was sitting at home and everybody was still applauding him. She probably was wondering, does anybody even care about me? Am I even important or significant to anybody? And what we've taught a generation of young people today is, it doesn't matter how you live. If you are exceptionally talented, if you are very gifted. If you can play an instrument and you can sing, it doesn't matter how you live behind closed doors. Folks, I'm telling you, with God, it does. It does. I'd like to think as a pastor, as your pastor, that if, if I ran out of here and all of a sudden decided I was going to fall in love with another woman and just abandon Tiffany and just try to go on and do ministry and maybe even stay around here, I'd like to think you'd have enough sense to, to know I'm not going to sit here and say amen to you. I can't honor somebody like that who divorces the wife and keeps the mistress. What's wrong with, with this, you see? And the scripture here makes it very plain when people begin to go down that path. Verse 17 says the strange women very often have forsaken the guides of their youth. They have turned from the instruction of mom and dad very often and they've forgotten the covenant of God. And men, we have to be careful in these days that we live in. Yeah, I, I was reading uh, an article here not too long ago and it was about sexual assault. 
And it was written the, the, the typical way that a secular person would write it. And it, the title of it was Don't Blame the Victim. And so they, they described how, it, how a lady dresses shouldn't have anything to do with uh, how a man responds or reacts and she doesn't deserve to be sexually assaulted and all of that. And I agree with that 100 percent. But then I started thinking about the years I spent preaching in the prison. And when you go into a prison, usually there are in the male side, particularly, you usually have a few weak men who are abused by all the other gentlemen. And in prison, it used to be if some if you saw a young man walking around through the cell block and he had his pants halfway down and his 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 britches showing and all of that, that was a sign to say I'm available. Now it's more of a fashion statement with young boys and girls out in society. But it really has always been a negative statement. So you always knew who the ones were that were being used and abused in the prison. Because they were, by their image, letting people know this is what I am. And all I'm saying that for us as gentlemen and for you that are ladies, the way you present yourself does have a lot to do with how people are going to respond and react to you. They're going to interact with you on the basis of impressions that they receive. If you, if you were to dress like a harlot, people would think that's what you were. If I were to come in here with a flashy hat and a fur coat and I had some nice shoes on and I kind of had that George Jefferson walk going and I'm making my way to the pulpit, nobody would think I was a pastor. So are the impressions that we make are powerful. See? So let's think about that. Discretion will preserve us from that. Discretion will keep us from engaging in activities and interacting with people who will drag us down. And the scripture says her bed will take you to a place you'll never get out of. Well, let's finish up. Proverbs 3, verse 1 says, My son, don't forget my law, but keep my commandments for length of days and long life and peace shall they add to you. That's true. Your parents probably told you that. I don't know. Maybe you've, you've heard this phrase, too, where uh, somebody says, well, look, you either get your feet down off of that table or off of that couch. Or I come over there, boy, and I'll beat you within an inch of your life. Well, see, some of us had parents who went to the same school. See, right. But but here's the point. When parents used to say, I brought you in this world, I'll take you out. That was their way of letting you know length of days is in the power of their hand. So when you think about God, let's not forget that when we walk with him, he is in the chastening business when his children are disobedient. And never forget, chastisement, that's the punitive phase. You're beyond warning at this point. See, the warning is, I'm not going to tell you again. That's the warning. The punitive phase is when God gets involved and he begins to chasten Israel because of their sins and their iniquities. How many people have been raised in good families and then went out into society and got involved with drugs? Could have lived to 90 but died in their 30s. Could have lived to their 70s but died from an overdose as a teenager. 
Discretion will preserve you from that. And the scripture says, length, and day, length of days and long life and peace shall they add to you. So obey God and live long. That's what's better, I think. And then the scripture says in verse five and six, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding In all your ways. Acknowledge him and he'll direct your path in everything that you do. Ask God, how can I glorify you in this? I tell couples that all the time. If in your job you can't glorify God, then there's probably no sense in you having that job because you're going to be under conviction all the time. But if you can glorify God, hold on to that job, do the best that you can in that job. And the scripture says promotion doesn't come from the east, the west, the north or the south. Promotion comes from the Lord. And when God says that he sees that you're ready, then promotion comes. But when you receive it, hold on to it and glorify God in the middle of it. And the final thing he says here in verses eight and nine, all of this will be health to your navel and marrow to your bones. God will keep you healthy, physically strong. Health to your navel. Well, that's necessary for the child that received nourishment in mama's womb. The baby is growing. But once the baby emerges into this world and the umbilical cord is cut, then we quickly understand that it's God that's able to, to handle this. Ecclesiastes says, it is God that maketh the bones to grow in the womb. So this physical body belongs to God, and by living for him and being obedient to him, I can also expect that there are aspects of obedience to him that brings to me strong and robust health. I think in some areas of life, God doesn't want us always praying for healing. He wants us to be healthy. He's a great physician. There are things that he can teach us and show us that we can do. And with that health, he says in verse nine, honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits of your increase. And so shall your barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Honor the Lord with your substance. Every year, there are people that stand at the corners of their farm ground and pray or say something to the effect, God, give us a good year. Something to that effect. There are people who go to work and getting ready to perform surgery and they're doctors that are, as they're washing their hands, they're praying, God, help me to heal these people. And whatever other jobs that people may have, whether somebody's driving a bus, sweeping a floor, sitting on the bench as a judge, staying at home with their children, prayers are being made all the time. But here's the thing. As God blesses you and increases you, remember to honor God with some of the substance. Some people are just selfish. They think of a thousand reasons why they shouldn't have to do that. And they create all kinds of vain imaginations for why they should be allowed to hold on to what belongs to them. Hold on to more of what they have while they're praying at the same time. Oh, God, increase our substance. But if you like what it says there in verse 10, which is the word plenty, then you've got to be willing to release some of what you have. Now, I didn't create the whole formula of tithes and offerings that was in the Bible before I was ever born, but it's something I've lived by ever since I was a teenager. And when I became a Christian and was receiving money, I understood a dime out of every dollar went to God. 
And I made sure that's how I did it. My wife and I, since we've been married, when we budget's got to be worked out, our budget never includes the tithe. Never. So we don't even function on what is 100 percent. We function on 90 percent because that is God's way. That's how he ordained it. That's the way he planned it. But I have learned in life that it's not difficult for a man in particular. It's not difficult for a man to give God a dime out of every dollar. That's never been a problem. Hardly is a problem today. It's not hard for a guy to give the Lord a dollar out of every ten. What becomes a problem is when we have to honor the Lord by providing him with a hundred dollars out of every thousand. And then the increments go higher. And you quickly realize from God's perspective, he doesn't care if he's dealing with a penny or if he's dealing with a million dollars. From his perspective, he's still dealing with the same increment, either we're faithful to God or we're not. That's it. And when my wife and I tithe, we're not tithing to ourselves. We're not tithing to you. We're tithing to our heavenly Melchizedek, as the scripture says in the book of Hebrews. And when you tithe, you're not tithing to me. I'm not going to bless you. You're tithing to God. It's God who sees in secret, who rewards you openly. But if you want your barns and you want your home and you want all of that to experience plenty, you still have to be faithful to honor God. If you choose not to. Not too much I can say. All the years that I've been pastoring, I have never, ever counted an offering. I have never made a deposit. I have never been involved with anything connected with the finances. Occasionally I ask what's there or can we do this? Can we do that? But the one thing I do know when it comes to walking with God. If we're going to be examples, we need to be examples. And younger people, if they learn as soon as possible, if I'm cutting grass, shoveling snow, doing this or doing that, that God ought to get his, then you don't have all this condemnation later when you're trying to ask God to do something for you. And you're saying, well, I, I don't even know if God's going to do it for me because I haven't been faithful like I should. Be faithful. Be faithful. And do what God wants you to do. And you'll find he'll do things for you that are great. Now, the last thing I'll say on that and then be done with it, you know, that in, out here in Nebraska, you have a lot of people go to uh, churches where uh, I'll just say there's not a whole lot of Bible taught and a whole lot of word and stuff like that. So you hear things like this in conversation with people. Well, I just don't like going to church because when they go to church, all they do is ever talk about money. Well, you, you could say you don't have a pastor like that. Because I don't hold up service every week with a 20 minute teaching on why you ought to tithe and the blessing that's going to come to it. I just deal with it as it comes up in a teaching. But but here's the thing. The same people that that will complain to you about a church that's asking for money. Generally, they, they'll smell a new truck or a new car every three years. There's always a, a new addition getting put onto the house or. Something wonderful taking place, new set of tires or something. But, but when it comes to God, we clench our fists. Folks, many times God can't get it to us because he can't get it through us. God doesn't want us to be a lake. He wants us to be a river. Let it flow. Because the more he gives, the more he'll give to you. You can't beat his giving because it's really true, as the song says.
And you'll find that God is very faithful to you. He's very faithful to me. Let's stand. Happy Father's Day, folks. We're so glad we get to spend an evening looking into this. Solomon, I think, offered some wonderful advice. If anything we said tonight dealt with your heart, just make the adjustment. That's all. Make the adjustment. If you came under conviction of the Holy Spirit about anything, make the adjustment. Don't just let it settle on you, then go out and then just go back to doing what you were doing. Make the adjustment in your life. Be careful about evil. Be careful about the, the strange man, the strange woman. Think about acknowledging God in all your ways. Think about how important the fear of the Lord is for your life. It changes homes. And I promise you, what we're seeing God do in our heart and life, God will do greater things. And I hope and pray we're just busting out of this place. And who knows what God will do from there. See? But praise God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how wonderful it is to know you. We can only thank you because you've done so much. If we had a thousand tongues, we couldn't praise you as much as we'd like to. But when we look back over our lives, these men, they want to say thank you, Lord, for the marriages. Thank you for the relationships. Thank you for their homes. They're grateful, Lord, for the experiences that they've had with kids, without kids, but with you at all times. And we pray as you continue to lead and guide us, you would help us walk in paths of righteousness. Lord, let discretion keep us and an understanding heart preserve us. Lord, when we're about to make a wrong decision, begin to flash that light of caution inside of us so that we can continue walking with you. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen.